Amen. So good to see you tonight. It's good to be in the house of God with God's people. And I'm so glad that you're here. Before you take your seat, why don't you just say that to someone? I'm so glad you're here. Amen. <laughs> I can't see you, but I know you're here because I've been down on the floor and I saw you before. <laughs> yeah. And it's just great to be I don't know if you know, I had a little bit of a problem walking for a while, so it's just good to climb these stairs and come back up. Amen. So we got a victory here. Well, I just uh, introduced myself. If you don't know who I am, my name is Carol Haynes, and I'm married to that wonderful Pastor Jack Haynes, <laughs> and together we lead this church. So um, now we're introduced, now we can be friends. I want to begin tonight with asking you a question. Have you ever had a wake-up call? Okay, so a literal or a figurative one. We use that as an expression of speech. Back in the day before we all had mobile phones that we carry an alarm clock with us wherever we go, if you stayed at a hotel and you had to get up at some horrible hour like 3 a.m. to get ready to catch a 5 a.m. flight, you would ask the desk, would you please phone me at 3 a.m. and I need a wake-up call because you're just not naturally going to wake up when you, at that time of, of morning, when it still feels like night. So you'd want a wake-up call. But sometimes we get a wake-up call. We use that as a, a figure of speech to mean, I needed that. I needed something to alert me, to get me listening, to wake me up from my slumber, so to speak. And it just comes on you suddenly. So we're going to talk about a wake-up call today. And maybe God's got a wake-up call for you. And you know what? That's a good thing. That might be a startling thing, but it's a good thing because God only wants good for your life. He has good intentions towards you. Anything that he's going to tell you, even if it's an unpleasant thing, like a jarring wake-up call would be, it's a good thing because God wants good for you. So in a moment, I'm going to share an experience of my own personal wake-up call. But I want to begin with our theme, which is a king and a cause. And we've been repeating this throughout the year, talking about the King of Kings, the Lord Jesus Christ, and the cause that he has for us in the earth, and that his kingdom would come in the earth. And I want to read to you from Matthew chapter 11, verse 12, which says this, And from the time John the Baptist began preaching until now, the kingdom of heaven has been forcefully advancing, and violent people are attacking it. Now, that has caused many people to read that, and I don't understand what that means. You look at that and say, what does that mean? It means the kingdom of God. He said, when Jesus was on earth from the time of John the Baptist, which was his contemporary. He was the forerunner of Christ. The kingdom of God has been advancing. But there's always a pushback. When God's kingdom advances, there's a pushback. And, you know, as we look to have the kingdom of God advance in our lives or through us, there will be a pushback. There will be something that will come against us. But it forcefully is advancing. So the kingdom is an um, on, ongoing thing that is moving forward. It's not staying stagnant. I'm going to use in the word, with the word complacent. The kingdom is not a complacent place. But you know, we have an enemy that resists us and resists the kingdom of God. But there is another enemy, and I've just used that word. It's one that arises within ourselves, and it's called complacency. And it is so subtle that we don't even know it. It just sneaks in. It's just kind of like a fog on a foggy morning. It's just there and covers up and kind of lulls us. And if we're not careful, if we're not aware of it, it can just take us 
out of what we're supposed to be doing for God and moving forward and advancing his kingdom through us. <clears throat> so I'm going to talk to you tonight about what it is, what is complacency, why you should be very concerned about it, how to wake up from complacency. Maybe we need to ask God to give us a wake-up call that we need and what to do instead. And I'll read this verse that God spoke to me about this very topic, and I'll share my experience. Proverbs 1.32 says, For simpletons turn away from me wisdom to death. Fools are destroyed by their own complacency, by just not doing something about what should be done. So I had a wake-up call earlier this year, and I'll just share it with you. I was feeling a little bit off, and I thought... You know, I have a blood pressure cuff at home, and so I thought, oh, I'll just take my blood pressure. I don't feel right. Well, it was shocking. It was really high. It was in what they call the danger zone. And I thought, oh, maybe I just did it wrong. You know, I need to get somebody to check this out. It was on a Saturday, so I went down to the local pharmacy, and I said, do you do blood pressure readings? And they said, yes, and just sit there, wait a minute, and then I come in, and <clears throat> she sat me properly, and she did the whole thing, and it was exactly what I read at home. And she said to me, this is really concerning, and you should monitor this. And I rec recommend if it goes any longer for a couple of days that you go see a doctor or possibly the emergency room. Well, that was a wake-up call. That was a wake-up call. And I got to thinking, oh, yeah, you know, I've gained a little weight. I've been a little bit, you know, not eating right. I've been this and that. And, and, but nothing all so bad. But all of a sudden, that wake-up call went, if I do nothing... If I just stay complacent, something bad could happen to me. So it was that very next day I read that scripture that I just read to you, and I thought, okay, God, you are speaking to me. I have a wake-up call to do something, to change something. And so I had to take some serious steps, which I'm in the process, and I am much better, by the way, but <clears throat> I, I couldn't stay complacent. I couldn't just leave that happening. And there may be something here tonight that God's going to speak to you, that you, you can't afford to stay complacent, that the Holy Spirit wants to speak to you to lift you up and to move you forward and to advance your life. And his will for you and his purpose for you is good. And so he will talk to you like that. So what is complacency? A simple dic dictionary definition means self-satisfied. And that doesn't sound so bad, does it? But it's a self-satisfaction that's not a good kind. It's a feeling of quiet pleasure or security, often while unaware of some potential danger, defect, or the like. It could be a, a self-satisfaction that's actually a smug type of satisfaction. Um, it's willing to put up with an existing situation and condition and not change. It's to not be self-aware or even be ignorant by choice. It's the voice that says, I don't care, or I don't want to know about it. It doesn't bother me, you know, and they just stay ignorant, don't, not unconcerned. It's not being uh, able to acknowledge that something should actually change. It can also mean sometimes that we stop caring about what we should care about. That happens, and I, there's some reasons. We'll talk through that a little bit. <clears throat> and why should you be so concerned? Well, first of all, it could signal that there's a decline in your spiritual well-being and growth. Um, it could indicate that something is not right on a deeper level within, and Holy Spirit can reveal that to you. <clears throat> Complacency will hinder the work of the Holy Spirit in your life because you become desensitized. 
and less sensitive. And if you're not sensitive to hear his voice, then he cannot move you forward. And you won't grow and go forward in the things that he has for you. It could be the beginning of a downward spiral. And we're going to talk about King David and how the, the downward spiral finally led him to some very grievous sin. And it started possibly with complacency in his life. So when someone moves into grievous sin, it doesn't happen in a day. It's a process. And it begins sometimes with the little compromises, the little complacencies, the little things that we allow to exist in our life. And then they just add up and mount up until finally there really is a problem. Jesus spoke in the book of Revelation to the seven churches in Asia. And one that he spoke to is the church in Laodicea. And we call that church the lukewarm church. You know, the lukewarm church. You could call it the complacent church. He was very strong with that church in his uh, what he had to say. It was actually a rebuke, but it was a loving rebuke. We know when God rebukes us, it's because he loves us. When he corrects us or disciplines us, it's because he loves us. He doesn't just let things go. He corrects us so that we can come closer to him and come all the better. So this uh, Laodicea was a beautiful prosperous city. It was a commercial city. It had a lot of wealth. It was in the right place, the right people there. But it had one problem. It had a very poor water supply. And so the water had to be piped in aqueducts and finally into to, uh, big pipes outside of the city. And by the time it arrived to Laodicea, it was lukewarm. It was horrible. And it was a complaint and it was a criticism by the local people as well as the visitors there that it was just so distasteful. And if something's hot, like a hot beverage, well, that's okay. If it's something's cold and refreshing, that's wonderful to have. But it was neither. And so Jesus used that natural understanding that they had of their water supply. And he said, I wish you were luke, yeah, that you weren't lukewarm, that you were hot or you were cold. But because you're lukewarm, I will spit you out of my mouth. That's pretty strong words. Before we moved here, we came from Arizona, and I wasn't born in Arizona. Jack grew up there, uh, but I moved to Arizona with him after we married, and I found out how distasteful the Colorado River water is. It goes 2,300 plus kilometers and empties out just outside of Yuma. And by the time it gets there, it is so full of sediment and mud and yuck, and the only way you could drink it was to chill it. It had to be cold. You couldn't drink it lukewarm. It was just so distasteful. So, you know, water is meant to be refreshing. Water is meant to, to give life. And this lukewarmness was, was repulsive to both human beings and the thought of it to Jesus as well. And so he says in Revelations 3.15, I know your works. You are neither cold nor hot. Would that you were either cold or hot. And then you go on to Revelation 3.17. He says, for you say, I am rich. I have prospered. I need nothing. Isn't that complacency? Not realizing that you are wretched and pitiable, pitiable, poor, blind, and naked. It's a smug complacency. I need nothing. I don't have to do anything. Wow. Can't afford to go there. But in Revelation 3.19, he says, Those whom I love, I reprove and discipline. So be jealous, zealous, not jealous, zealous, and repent. Those whom I love. Did you get that? When Jesus reproves you, when he disciplines you, he's loving you. 
He's loving on you. And so be zealous. What's that? What's zealous? That's to be lit. It's to be fire within. Our prayer meeting, everybody kept praying about fire. And I thought, yeah, amen. We're going there tonight. It's to be on fire within. And he said, repent. What does repentance mean? I'll tell you, it is one of the most precious things that God has allowed us as human beings to connect with him. And we should never be afraid of that. That should be something that is a part of our life and our relationship with the Lord, is to walk humbly before our God and ready to repent whenever his spirit prompts us. That doesn't mean that we're out always having a pity party or we're always down on ourselves or condemning ourselves. But as the spirit of God brings light to things within us, that we go, oh Lord, I am so sorry. I return to you. Because repentance means to turn from what you're doing, to abandon your way and turn towards him. Isaiah 57, 55 or 7 says, Let the wicked one abandon his way and the sinful one his thoughts and return to the Lord. So we abandon our way. We quit doing what we want to do or the way we're going. And we turn around and we return to the Lord. And it says, so he can have compassion on you. And that he can pardon and forgive you. That's what God wants to do. So he's always calling us back to refresh that relationship with him. And I I think today is a good time to do that. So let's abandon what we want to do. Let's abandon complacency. Let's abandon the things that have captured us. And let's be captivated by him and return to him. You leave something to return to someone. Be zealous and repent. So zealousness is the opposite of complacency all day long. So we're going to talk about King David and his downward spiral into complacency. And I so love uh, 1 and 2 Samuel, and I so love the story of David. And he is just one of the biggest heroes. And how many are familiar with David in the Old Testament? And you've read his stories, and you know about David and Goliath and the shepherd boy and all those things. And, And God chose him. There'd been a king before him, King Saul, who really just mucked it up and abandoned his calling. And so God chose David in his place. David had a long time getting to the throne. He was a warrior in the wilderness for a very long time, but he was very much admired by the people, but he had to wait for the crown. But the day came when finally he was crowned king of all of Israel. The whole nation was united under him. And it seemed like perhaps he could finish up being the warrior forever. And so you get to chapter eight and he's in 2 Samuel chapter eight, and he's Now, you know, finishing up a battle with the Philistines that were always a problem, those Philistines. And then you see that he kind of gets to maybe mellowing a little bit. Maybe he doesn't want to be the warrior all the time. And he tries to to make some peace with those around him. Um, He gathers in Mephibosheth, who was Jonathan's son, the grandson of Saul, and he wants to do kindness to him. And then he hears about the Ammonite king has, has passed away. And so in chapter 10, he sends emissaries, he sends comforters to bring his condolences to the king, king's son, who is now the new king. And Hanan was his name. He totally misunderstood and misinterpreted what David had meant. He thought that they were spies, and he didn't believe that anything was there to send condolences or any type of thing that was a kindness from David. And he shamed those men. He cut off half of their beards, and he cut off their, uh, their tunics and exposed their nakedness and sent them back in shame. And it was such an insult. It was such an insult. And so David was, you know, just 
absolutely angry by all of that. And so by the time we get to chapter 11, now Joab, his captain, has gone out to war against the Ammonites, and David is not where he's supposed to be. The king is not out with the armies. He's back in his palace. In 2 Samuel chapter 11, verse 1, we pick it up. It says, In the spring of the year, the time when kings go out to battle, David sent Joab and his servants with him and all Israel, and they ravaged the Ammonites and besieged Rabbah, but David remained at Jerusalem. And it happened. Boy, did it happen. Late one afternoon, when David arose from his couch and was walking on the roof of the king's house, that he saw from the roof a woman bathing, and the woman was very beautiful. Now, do you know the story? And you can finish the story in your mind, what happened. That was Bathsheba. And he called for her, and he took her. He had sex with her. He, he made her pregnant. And all the subsequent things that happened from that. He was one of the greatest warriors of all time, but he didn't go out with his army that day. And why? What was going on in his heart? Had he just got tired? Had he stopped caring? Was, did he let a fence get in his way? We see that he got complacent for some reason, and we might not really know, but we can observe these things. And we can look and go, wow, you know what? I've had similar things like that. I've been discouraged. I've just given up on people or given up on whatever. And you can just come back into that comfort of complacency, saying, I don't need to care so much. I don't need to do so much. Maybe that was David's case. Maybe it's your case. Perhaps something has happened that has been emotionally painful and has discouraged you, and, and you just kind of come back into this cocoon of complacency and find it a comfort spot. But you know what? God wants to break you free from that tonight. He wants to move you forward. He wants to get you out of that. He wants to heal the hurt and the pain. And sometimes it means exposing it back to him so that he can touch it. We've been talking about that tonight. Jesus, touch us now, I pray, in the name of Jesus. So Bathsheba was very beautiful. But was she that hard to resist? I think something had happened to in his heart. He had allowed something there that he, the complacency that was there, gave him permission to indulge himself, to just go ahead and indulge himself. He was the king. Why shouldn't he do that? You know, David's life was never the same after that. It wasn't. You know, he uh, eventually married Bathsheba, and then the baby died that he impregnated her with, and then Solomon was born, and he went on. But he was never the great man he was again, and he had infightings in his family, Absalom, on and on and on it went. He was disgraced and dethroned at one point, and it just got from bad to worse. And I think complacency may have been a part of that. I don't know. You, you decide. So how to recognize complacency in ourselves? Let me just ask you some questions, and maybe they'll pique something in, within you. What things should you care about, but you lack the emotional energy to do so? Just ask that question. Has there been a setback or a painful experience that is preventing you from trying again? And maybe you just kind of like still in the water there, like a boat. What things are still clearly your responsibility, but you avoid thinking about them? I just don't want to know about that. No. Have some honest reasons for things versus excuses. Because there are honest reasons, you know. Um, I, I haven't been walking regularly because I broke my leg. So <laughs> that's an honest reason. <laughs> 
<laughs> but now you can you can get back there. I can get back there, and I, and I don't have to have an excuse now, do I? Yeah. So complacency has it become my comfort spot? Um, and let's be honest: is there sin that needs to be repented of? Well, let's do that. That's that's the easiest thing to take care of right there, honestly, because we have the cross, we have the blood of Jesus, we have the forgiveness and the open invitation of God to return to him. So that's the easiest part right there. So his love is expressed to us by the conviction that he'll send. Who I love, I discipline. So what should you care about? Number one, they'll come up on the screen. First of all, growing closer to Jesus. We should care about that. That should matter. Can you think of a time in your life when you actually walked closer with the Lord or felt closer to him? What's the difference now? We talk about in Revelation 2. This is one of the first times when I ever opened God's word as a young Christian, and the word just leaped out on me. And in, in chapter 2, he said, you have left your first love. And I thought, that's true. I had been following Jesus for about a year, and, and it was, I wasn't as on fire as I was on the first. I'd kind of got, you know, distracted by different things. And he spoke to me, and he said, come back. Come back to that place. And, and that was a wonderful revival in my life when I heard that word from the Lord. And so think about that. Grow closer. Don't be complacent in your walk with God. How about your relationships, your family, your friends? They're worth investing in. They're worth going forward with. They're worth your best efforts. If you're married, always investing in your marriage. And please don't take your spouse for granted. Don't do that. You can get so close to being accustomed to each other all the time that you take each other for granted. Well, it's great to be comfortable with your best friend, but don't take them for granted. Your physical health, like I was just illustrating, don't take that for granted. You sow seeds for your future right now. And you know, the thing about seeds, they're sown, but seeds multiply. So do we sow good seeds or do we sow bad seeds? Because we will have a multiplication in our future with whatever seeds we sow. So physical health is worth taking care of because if your physical body falls down, there's just, you know, if you lose your health, you lose your wealth, you lose everything. So stay strong. We're working on that, aren't we, dear? (laughs) Your physical environment. Do you take care of your home? Do you take care of your car? Do you take care of things? Are you just complacent about it all, whatever? You know, that, that's part of, that's an area of our life that I know we don't even talk about much, but that's something that we should really treasure. If God's given you things, take care of them. Um, we should not be complacent about our finances. We should have those in good order and always working on that. And can I just end with one? And then there's many more that God could speak to you, but personal growth. Always learning, always growing, having new experiences, doing new things, even if it's just going to a different shopping center in Penrith. You know, just do something different and learn something. Read a book. You know, we, get, we scroll. No, we need to read. Okay, enough on that. Stop. Okay, so how to gain victory over complacency. First of all, wake up. Wake up. Have an awareness, um, an awakening within uh, in Acts chapter 16, love that story, Paul and Silas in the jail and Philippi. And you remember, they, they were awake in the night because they were singing and praises to God. And the other prisoners were listening to them. And God decided to send a mighty deliverance in the middle of that prayer and praise meeting. And a giant, violent earthquake, the Bible says, shook the prison to the very foundations, 
Guess who was sleeping? The jailer. But it says, he woke up. <laughs> yeah, buddy. And the, the doors had flung open on the prison and, he, and, it, and on penalty of death if he lost the prisoners. He was very concerned. And so he woke up and what did he say? Sirs, what must I do to be saved? He had an awakening towards God and Almighty God's hand there. And so we need to wake up. That's, that's the first step right there is wake up, have an awareness. Say, Holy Spirit, wake me up on the inside. Wake me up where I need to be woke up. I give you permission to work in my life again. I want a fresh fire of God on me. I don't want to stay complacent. I don't want to get left behind. I want to go forward in God. So Holy Spirit, wake me up. Speak to me tonight. Second thing, and similar to it, but it's to listen for the voice of Jesus speaking to your heart. Listen. Tune your ears again. Turn your ears to the Lord. Say, Lord, increase my sensitivity to hear your voice. And you know, repentance is a part of that. So I've mentioned that earlier. But repentance will break a spirit of stupor over your life. A stupor of complacency. So that just fires up your heart again. It softens the soil of your life so that you can hear the voice of the Lord. And you know, regular repentance practiced is the thing that will keep us safe. Keep us out of temptation. Keep us out of going wrong directions. So let's make sure we listen to the voice of the Lord and what he says to us and do it. And then number three, be intentional in your pursuit of Christ and his kingdom. Intentional pursuit. You know, we just just can't let things just happen to us. We're not floating on a river barge down a river. We're actually swimming upstream if you want to use that kind of metaphor. We've got to push in, press into the things of God. So we need to be intentional in doing that. So many scriptures suit that very thought, but I'll just read the one from 1 Corinthians 9.25. It says, All athletes are disciplined in their training. They do it to win a prize that will fade away, but we do it for an eternal prize. And so there's a competition within, not against one another, but against and not against anyone, but, it, but for our own self to win the prize, to complete the race, to do the thing that God has entrusted me to do in the earth and to do it well. And number four, become proactive in pursuing change and improvement in all areas of your life. Be proactive in it. What could I do? What do I need to do differently in all areas of my life? Sit down and think for a while. Sometimes we just need to do that. That's a good thing, isn't it? Sit down and think. So, you know, we accept what we have to accept, but we can change what we can change as well. And so I accept the fact that I'm 68 years old, and this body's not going to get any younger. It's getting older, and it does wear out, but I can change the way I treat it. I can change the way I feed it. I can change the way I exercise it. There's a lot of things I can still do. And there's a lot of things that you can do. You know, uh, just on this journey that I've been on, a rhema word that God spoke to me from the book of Revelation, chapter 3, verse 2, was be alert and strengthen what remains. Be alert and strengthen what remains. Okay, so not as young as I used to be, this and that, all those things, but strengthen what remains. I can do that. And you can too. So whatever you don't have, you don't have. We accept what we, don't, we can't change, but we change what we can change. So what small significant change could you make this week that if it's done consistently in a month's time, there might be a considerable difference? What small change could it be? Go to bed an hour earlier or a half hour earlier 
get up a half hour earlier, um, eat something nice for yourself. Don't be like me. I, I don't, can't tell you how much kale I have bought that's been in my fridge. And it's never been in my mouth or my belly. It's just growing yellow and, you know, throwing out. And so good intentions are, are not enough. We got to actually do something, you know, eat the kale. <laughs> so, amen. When I pray for myself, sometimes I don't sleep at night. And when I'm awake and I, I'm not able to sleep, I start to pray. And I remember Pastor Messer's prayers that were always, Lord, I pray that you'll heal her from the top of her head to the soles of her feet. That's, that's what he always prays. And, and that's what I do. I will pray and say, Lord... I just ask for your healing power from the top of my head to my soles of my feet. But I, I start saying, okay, this thing and that thing and that tooth and that thing. And, you know, I just go through it all because there's nothing that escapes the, the, the heart of God. And no detail is too small for you to pray about. So ask God to help you with these changes. Ask God to show you how to pray and how to get what you need from him. Matthew 7, verse 7 through 8 says, ask and it will be given to you. Search or seek, most translations say, but I like this one. Search and you will find. Knock and the door will be open to you. Everyone who asks receives. Everyone who searches finds. Everyone who knocks will have the door open. This is being proactive. Ask, search, and seek, and knock. And you know, this ask is with its, uh, uh, the verb goes towards an object or a noun, and that is to ask someone, to ask God. Ask God for what you need. And it's more than just a polite ask. It's a craving. It's, I've got to have this, God. Got to have this. So let's not be complacent when we ask God. Let's ask him with that permission that he gives us to ask in such a strong way. And to search means to, to search with the intention that you will find it, to strive for it. So it's, with, it's a searching with a faith, a searching for an answer, searching for a direction, searching for a word of wisdom from God, searching for what you need to keep going forward. It also means to think about and to meditate. And I think that's something we don't do enough of. We're not still enough. I've been really challenged to just have quiet in my house, not always have to have ear pods in my ear or some music in the background or something going on, but just have some quiet so my brain will get still and think. And that's a good thing. So um, also then the word knock. This last week we were staying at a hotel and uh, still had an hour before checkout, but I heard the, we all know what that means. You can be anywhere in the world and it means somebody wants you to open the door. And so I did. And of course it was the housekeeping wanting to know if I was gone yet so they could clean the room. <laughs> but I opened the door and I said, yes, what do you need? That was just my response. What, what do you need? And so God invites you to knock on the door, and he will open that door for you. So we want to be proactive in everything we, we do. So I want to just finish with prayer, and I'm going to ask the team to come up as I close. And I want us to ask ourselves some questions about this. And let's invite the Holy Spirit. Let's invite his presence to come and speak to us and, and talk to us about these deep areas of our life. Maybe there is something that is caused you to just take a little bit of a sidestep off the ways. And, and you, you know, you still love Jesus. You're here in church tonight. 
but you've just become a little bit complacent, a little bit too comfortable. You're not pressing in. You're not pushing forward. The fire has gone out. This is a time to return, isn't it? Where in your life have you become complacent? Where have you drawn back in your relationship with God? Has there been a drawing back in what, what you have with him? And would you pray with me that tonight we can ask the Holy Spirit to reignite his fire within our hearts? Amen? Let's pray. Holy Spirit, we just thank you that you are here moving upon our hearts. We thank you, Heavenly Father, that you hear our prayers. And even the prayers we can't say, you see our hearts. Lord, you see each individual here. And Lord, you love them deeply. You care for each one. And Lord, you invite us into relationship. You invite us into a a thing that is an inseparable relationship with you. That Lord, you're not the God who's afar off or distant from us, but that you invite us to draw near to you. And so we do right now. And Lord, we pray that you would shine your light in our hearts, that you'd speak to us, Lord, if there's an area that we've gone dull, complacent, that we have just stepped away, that we need your fire again. I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would come, come in the most wonderful way and touch our lives and refresh our spirits. Lord, I pray if anyone here tonight has become discouraged, is experiencing emotional pain within that has caused them to sort of just hide themselves and step aside, I pray your healing to come. I pray your merciful goodness to come to their lives. And Lord, we also pray that your searchlight would put your finger on anything we need to repent of. Lord, keep us safe. Keep us from sin. Deliver us from evil, Lord. And cause us to always be the people of God who will passionately pursue you for your glory and for your praise. Amen. Amen.